welcome everyone. It's good to have you here. And uh, it's awesome to be able to come and share the word with you this morning. Reuben, I forgot my clicky thing. Can you run it up to me, buddy? You've got to have your clicky thing when you're up here, yeah? <laughs> All good. All right. Why can't I find this in my Bible? Because Peyton dropped my Bible, is that right? It took me 40 seconds to find the page I want in my Bible that I'm not going to read for 40 minutes. Oh, no, 20 minutes. Anyway, all good. So, I... Um, oh, wow. These guys are more organized than me. Um, victory over temptation. But I've got an excuse on why I'm not organized this morning, all right? It's a long story. Maybe you can share that with me over a cup of coffee. All good. Anyway, so... The title of my sermon there or message is Victory Over Temptation. Uh, who, who gets tempted a little bit in life? <sighs> anyway, like I just tempted you to laugh at me and you all fell and took the bait. Is that right? Yeah. Laugh at pastor. That's okay. He's got big shoulders. It's all good. Anyway, who, gets, who struggles with temptation here? I think we all can raise our hand with that, yeah? Nobody ever... Um, is free from being tempted so this is something that um we could talk about all the time because we need to find victory in this area all right it's not like it's 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 not like you get victory and then you're never tempted again because that would be means that you're jesus right jesus was tempted those three times in the wilderness and then we don't see of him being tempted any more than that but but that's our aspiration to become more like jesus is that right so, which means we are on this journey of victory, of becoming more like Jesus, which means that temptation should have less significance in our life the older and maturer we become in Jesus. That's not an older and maturer we become in age, but the more like Christ we become. Is that right? Anyway, I'll get to my notes. There's so much in our lives today that compete for our attentions. I don't think there has been a harder time in history where the saints of God have been bombarded as much as we are today. Now, I'm not saying in the West that we are persecuted anywhere near as much as those who went before us. You need to hear what I'm saying there. And while many reports declare today Christianity has more martyrs than ever, in fact, it's one every hour, they believe, across the world, that one Christian every hour is martyred across the world each day, every hour as it ticks by. I mean, all we have to do is stop and take a look at Sri Lanka, don't we? And what happened there last Sunday. Um, I wrote up a small uh, reflection for our, our newsletter, which will be printed this week and given to you next Sunday. There's a small reflection in there from our pastor, uh, our, our, our um, national director, Pastor Bill Vasilakis, and he's um, he shared a little bit about it. But one of the churches that was bombed, uh, there's some significant ties there in Sri Lanka with the CRC. And Pastor Barry Silverback and uh, many of our other pastors have gone and ministered into this church, the Pentecostal Church. I think it was Zion uh, Church, um, where they lost. I think 120 people were killed in that bombing, and uh, 359 people have now perished in this disaster it, it, it's an atrocity more than 500 injured but when you think about it us in the west how can steve stand up there and claim that we're the most persecuted ever i'm not talking about west and east divide i'm talking about christianity as a whole 
your life as a whole, you, you fit as one of those people that we are persecuted more than any other time in history. Even more than the writer of Hebrews talks about those clouds of witnesses that have gone before us. There's, there's such a time as now where, where persecution is, is extreme. I'm saying that it may not be easy today to live as a Christian as one thinks. There's a false gospel, isn't there? Come to Jesus and he'll make all your life well. Come to Jesus and everything in your life will come, you know, come to perfection. I, I don't think any of us in the room has actually experienced that in this world. Now, while there are joys and there's victories and there's, there's things that we overcome in this world and they can be put down wholly and solely to the, our faith in Jesus. Our life as Christians, when we come to Jesus, is not necessarily easier. It can become harder and, 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 and it makes it difficult to navigate this area of temptation. Christianity is the largest group of people on the planet. An estimated 2.2 billion or 32% of the population. That should give you some courage. There were a big group of people. Look at, our, look, at our, um, look at one of the other religions that's opposed to Christianity. Those who, who would claim in their faith that they had succeeded in the bombing. The Muslim faith, their adherents number around 24 to 25% of the population. They think it's growing pretty quickly. But I don't know if it's outgrowing Christianity. Maybe what's happening is there's a slight divide coming even in the Christian faith where those who are called to stand up in their faith begin to stand up and those are being sifted, like Jesus is sifting the goats from the sheep kind of thing. And I think what is actually happening across the globe is that people are standing up for their faith more and more than we have ever seen before. The story from this church, the Zion church, the children were out in Sunday school and their pastor asks them who is prepared to die for their faith and they all raise their hands five minutes before walking back into the main auditorium and the bomb exploding there was more children died in that bomb than in any other of those bombings these are, these are people who are willing to die for their faith are we actually willing to die for our faith while the muslims might be the second largest group of people in this world if we would all stand up we would be a voice that would be heard but yet what is it that we're standing up to it's standing up in love that we need to be standing up our biggest challenge then falls into that which competes for our attention. I think what happens with Christians, and it's the world over, those, it's no different East and West, those who will stand up and, and, and say, yes, I am prepared to die. But I think what happens is we in the West get distracted more than those in other countries. We in the West, we've got too much like this, for example. Like, there's too much to pull us away from our faith. There's too much to pull us away from who we are. There's things competing for our attention. For example, our jobs. 
Now, most of us who work full-time would probably work more than 36 hours a week. Is that right? Australians are actually one of the largest, uh, one of the highest group of people to work the most overtime and, and holiday the least in the world. Um, our jobs, they pull us away from our faith. Our TVs, our phones, our social medias, gaming, addictions, our friendships, our relationships, our travel, even our holidaying. You know, we're always busy planning. What are we doing next? I live in a boring town. I need to go away every second weekend or my life is going to be boring. But where does your faith factor in that? It's different if you're going away uh, to share the gospel every second week. But let me say, most of the people that are planning holidays every weekend or every second weekend to go and escape, they're escaping boredom. They're not pursuing faith. There's a difference. These things, they get in our way. The, the busyness of our homes. I mean, we're too busy to do housework. Who's with me on that one? <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but then you think of our gardens, they're growing up and people are downsizing because they haven't got time to mow lawns. Um, our meals, preparation for meals, I've got to eat. You've got to prepare good food. You can't just go to the cupboard and find ready-made meals. It'd be nice to press a button and it just, exam- bang, it comes up, wouldn't it? There's so much competing for our time. The news is competing for your time. What's happening over the other side of the world is competing for your time. Is Jesus going to come back tomorrow? It's competing for your time. Instead of sitting in his presence, hearing his heart. It's no wonder many people are stressed, anxious, depressed, angry, and hurting. You don't have to look outside the church to see all of those symptoms. Within the church, there are people who are stressed, depressed, anxious, hurting. Right here this morning, I might even be speaking to you. You might have one of these symptoms, if not all of them. Something that's competing for your time is bringing these symptoms into your life. Now throw into this concoction of thought for a moment. Just throw into this that as a Christian, we are engaged in the greatest warfare ever known to mankind. And life's just all of a sudden got real. You're not not in peacetime, you're in wartime. While we might be at peace with God, we're not at peace with the enemy that's trying to take something from you. He's trying to derail you. While our war is not against flesh and blood, so my war is not against you and yours is not against me, the enemy manipulates that so that our war becomes against each other. And it starts one to another, comparing each other, the jealousies that come up. And all of a sudden, war takes on a different thing. It's no longer spiritual, it becomes real. Because I've got a problem. Um, I've got something that's causing me bitterness. I've got something that is hurting me. I've got something that needs forgiving and I'm too prideful to be standing in that. Coming to God and saying, will you forgive me? We're in a battle 
And these things can and are used in ways that are meant to detract us from our relationship with our Lord Jesus and our call to outwork the gospel by living life in the Spirit. The busier you are, the harder it is to feel like you're in the presence of God. Now, faith you can faith it until you make it all you like. The truth is, God's presence never leaves us nor forsakes us. That is the truth. But when does that become reality? When, when does that become heaven on earth? Like God didn't say it so that we can one day hope for it. He said it so that it can be our reality today. So that means it's possible. We see it in Jesus' life, but it's possible. It gets me to this word temptation. Temptation then has now got a seedbed that is prime and ripe. Because our focus is not on God, our focus is on ourself. All of those things, whether that's war in the Middle East or war with my neighbor at home, our social media, the TV, the chores, the job, all of that, whether it's good or bad or necessary, they are all in competition for your time with God. And I'm not talking about just stopping everything and being on your knees 24-7. I'm talking about carrying the presence of God as a reality in your life in everyday situations. See, work is dry unless you bring Jesus into it. Because the joy of the Lord should be our strength. And when we walk in the joy of the Lord because of closeness in relationship to Him, we're able to overcome everything. And small problems remain what they are, small. They don't mount up to become overwhelming and crushing and anxiety-causing. So temptation is a topic that we are hit with on a daily basis, but we rarely talk about within Christian circles. Maybe you have heard lots on it. Maybe you've walked this journey much before, but we seem to not touch on it a lot. Every one of us suffers through temptation. Many of us, including myself, fall at various times. No one is exempt from trials of life. And our enemy is cunning and knows when to strike. Our most vulnerable times in temptation are when these attacks are linked to our emotional state. In another word that you can understand, the most vulnerable time for us as Christians is when the enemy attacks or tempts our old nature. Distractions become busyness. Busyness can lead to procrastination and loss of focus on the important things. We become disinterested, dissatisfied, and then we feel pain. We feel anxiety, emotional stress, and etc. Which connects us with a false belief within. It connects us with the old nature. For example, I'm useless, I'm worthless, I'm alone, nobody likes me, I better go and eat worms. 
I was abandoned as a kid and I'm abandoned now. What comes from these times is often a coping mechanism we put in place to cover our pain and that hides us from a God reality. For some, it is the lure of gambling. Others, it's the escapism of alcohol and drugs or the pursuit of sexual partners where we cover up the loneliness from within. Or it's the instant gratification of pornography, which ends up heaping guilt and shame on us. But there's a lot more. That's just a short, short list. For others, you might be so tapped into that emotional state, the old nature, that you fly off the handle at the drop of a hat because of the anger that's inside of you. These things, the temptations are just there for you to pick up. And when you are in that place, it is so easy to say yes to the temptation. It is so easy to step into that which the enemy portrays to you as being reality instead of stepping back into the place that God has created for you. There is a massive difference between God and the temptations of the enemy. It could drive you to work harder. It could drive you to work longer. It could drive you to live life completely out of balance. Satan wears us down by appealing to our flesh. We are not alone in this. Every one of us battles these thoughts. Some have overcome and some don't see their particular vice or their struggle. When the Bible clearly says that your vice is a struggle. It may encourage you to know that we are all in this struggle. Let's look at Paul's words really quickly. Verse Corinthians. Chapter 10 verse 13. Paul writes, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he also provides, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Look at Paul himself, not just his words. Paul had to endure struggle. Paul had to endure temptation. Paul had to overcome It's not that we are the only ones that have to overcome, but Paul himself, the great apostle, had to overcome. He was a man who declared himself to be the Hebrew of Hebrews, a pursuant pursuant only to God and his kingdom, yet he writes so clearly in the letter to the Romans of his struggle. Let's look at this in time. I'm going to come down and read it to you because this is really important for us to capture. At one time, this is Romans chapter 7. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. And I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. 
It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy. And its commands are holy and right and good. We would all agree with that, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Verse 13. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Have you said those words amongst yourself at times? That you keep going around and around and around the same problems in your life, And you come to the conclusion that the problem is not God, the problem is you. That's what Paul's saying. Maybe you can hear a little bit of yourself in the next words that Paul continues to write. He says this, I I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right. Who, Who wants to do what is right? Absolutely, we want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I do, should underline that, shouldn't we? What I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Who's been there? And then you do it and you get a hit of the guilts. Yep. And then it drives you away from the presence of God because you're... What it does when you're caught in the flesh is you're caught in this place where you can't look at a holy God when it's the complete opposite of what he wants you to do. He wants you to run into his presence because that's the only place you'll find to overcome. He continues, verse 20 of the same chapter. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He kind of sounds a little bit bipolar, doesn't he? He kind of sounds like he he wants to be in the lows, but he's up in the highs all the time. That he's so challenged that he wants to do what is right, but he ends up falling into sin anyway. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And your answer is right here. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So you see, how is it? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Thanks be to God. Paul's talking about two laws at work here. The law of God and the law of the sin and flesh. We cannot overcome the flesh with self-will. Who's tried that one? Yep. I'm going to will myself to stop doing that which is unholy. Hmm? Who actually experienced doing it more? I'll be, I'll be brave and say it was me. The more I tried to stop doing it, the more I did it. Yeah? The more I tried in my own strength, the more I fell to the temptation that the enemy put in before me. He's cunning. He knows exactly what, thing, what trap to set before you. And it's not hard for you to step into that snare. Why? Because you become sin conscious instead of being God conscious. There's a massive difference. There's two things at work. But the answer is not either of those things. It is not the law of the flesh, nor is it the law of God. The answer is that very name. Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ. It's not the law. It's not trying to live holy. It's actually living in the complete work of Jesus. The only way you and I can ever overcome this is to become a child of God. We need Jesus. It is the death of sin. Jesus on the cross died that sin would be dealt with once and for all. We need Jesus. We also need Jesus because he is the fulfillment of the law. He done for you what you could never do. He met God's righteous standard and took upon himself your death. We need to overcome the flesh. The only way we can overcome temptation and sin is to actually understand that the old nature or the flesh or whatever you want to call it is dead and should never be resurrected. Sin within you is dealt with. Romans 6 talks, before Paul starts talking about his own experience, talks of you being put into the waters of baptism, you dying with Jesus, you being the one cut off. That old nature is dead and the life that you live in resurrected, you live in the resurrected power of God. It's not the power of self-effort. Self-effort will only condemn you. It is to walk in the freedom and liberty of grace and grace alone. The more you focus on trying to overcome sin, the more you will do it. Paul writes this in the very next verse. Oh, I didn't have it up there for you. Romans 8, 1 to 2. It's the very next verse. Now there is therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There is no condemnation. 
the more you think about how wretched and how putrid and how disgusting you are in the presence of God, the more you are going to be caught in a slavery of sin. The more you speak the life of God and the word of God over your life, the less sin will have control over you. That is the power of the word of God at work. The power of the life-giving spirit, that word says. Greater is he who is within me than he who is within the world. The world refers to the flesh. The world refers to every temptation known to humanity. The world refers to the one who would think he's the God of the world. Every temptation is to draw you away from the life and the love of God. I'm going to skip the next bit. You don't need to know the origins of temptation. You just need to know this. Temptation is the battle. You and I are the battleground. There is no power if you don't engage in the way the battle that Satan expects you to engage. You've already won the battle. You already have the victory. His grace is sufficient for you to overcome. Paul knew that. He wrote that. You've won the battle and you must stand in that truth. If you are going to be the battleground, then let the truth of Christ come through you and be the answer when you are struggling. The flesh must be rendered dead. And you must put in your mind that it is unable to be resurrected. The spirit is how God relates to us. He does not relate to us through our minds. He relates to us through the spirit of Christ which he put in us. This is who we are. It is our mindset that needs to change. Something must give in if we are to change our thinking. Surely we're not caught on this merry-go-round without a way out. I like what the writer of Hebrews says to us. Hebrews 4, 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of our understanding... Oh, sorry, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, will be, there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. True? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. You could be a criminal and the judge could show mercy on you and you're given a pardon. That's mercy. But grace is getting all that you don't deserve. There is a massive difference between mercy and grace. Everything you do not deserve, relationship with God, sonship, that you are seated with him at most high, that you are called and you are anointed and you are appointed by him. That he has set you free for freedom's sake. 
All of these things that he has put you in a position where he can love and dote on you as he loves and dotes on his son Jesus. All of this none of us deserve. But he by his grace has poured this upon you. It's more than mercy. It is grace. He gives you everything you do not deserve. I'll skip this next bit too, but I was going to talk about our thoughts being renewed. Looking at Jesus in the wilderness when he was tempted four times. You can go and look at Matthew chapter 4 yourself, maybe this afternoon, and you can see how, how Jesus overcame temptation himself. He heard the temptation, he saw what it was, and he combated it with the scriptures. The reason the enemy doesn't want you reading your Bible is because he wants your sword to be dull. And you will not overcome temptation if you've got a dull sword. I'm sorry. You must know who you are. And you must know what God says about you. Three things in finalizing and concluding us here. Three things that will help us overcome temptation. How to live victorious or be victors in Christ. Firstly, 1 Peter 5.8 talks about the devil roaring like a roaring, roaming like a roaring lion. It tells us to stand fast and stand up against that. So we should stand and resist. Resist the enemy and he shall flee. The whole ploy is to keep you busy so that you cannot engage with God through the means he wants to fellowship with you and to you. Devotional readings and Bible study, meditations upon his word, prayer, worship in song and in action. So that means singing, listening to the words, but serving God in various ways. It's not just singing, but to worship God, to put him first in everything. Engaging in fellowship with other believers. All of these things are to help sharpen you against temptation. They will help you stand and resist. Because when you are actively involved in these things, not because of duty, but because you are drawn into this relationship with God, you actively are involved with these things, what happens is your focus is not on the sin It's upon the nature and character of God. Therefore, your focus is not upon how bad you feel and the things that you connect with that you have to cover up so that no one knows. So instead of feeling guilty or bad or feeling like you're alone or you're feeling unworthy or you've got no place and then reacting in a place where you will sin to cover up or to fill a void in your life, You're filling those places up with the truth and the knowledge and the understanding of God and what he says about you. And your experiences change from one of wanting to appease God to one of encounter. Who knows we can encounter God on a daily basis. You can encounter God through prayer. You can encounter God through the word. You can encounter God by the person sitting next to you. God has an encounter for you that will empower you to stand and resist the trials and temptations that, he, that the enemy has for you. When, when you're self-focused and you're caught in the flesh, all of these things seem like a drag, don't they? Getting up to come to church seems like a drag. 
Bible reading goes out the window. Your devotional life goes out the window. Your prayers, they come, they, they, they don't start with worship and gratitude unto God. What they are becomes a list. God, you didn't do this. God, I need you to do that. They are symptoms that there's something that's affecting your relationship with God. And if you don't pick the symptom quickly, the enemy's going to be on that with a temptation. And that temptation is only going to drive you, if you fall, into deeper guilt. But we should run into the presence of God. God, help me with my mind. Help me to cleanse it. Help me to be more like you. If we're going to kill the flesh, we must starve it by feeding our spirits. Stop feeding the flesh. If you've got a problem with what you're viewing uh, if you've got a problem with pornography and what you're viewing, stop watching television. Turn the computer off. Do something that's going to stop feeding that lust in your life and begin to feed upon the Word of God and the relationship with God. Reach out to someone who can help you. Starve the flesh and give life and nourishment to the Spirit. That's who God wants to deal with. He doesn't want to deal with your flesh. He dealt with that at the cross. So stop resurrecting the flesh and live in the truth that you are free. Some people, this might mean working less. It might mean you need to take a day off every now and then. It might mean you need to stop doing so much. That's a scary thing to say from the pulpit, isn't it? For others, it might mean actually doing more. You might not have discovered the joy of what it is discovering who God's created you to be. It may mean you need to find a hobby where you can recreate in the image of God. What that means is recreation, the word recreation. Recreate the joy in your life. Do something that's not out of duty but out of life giving that's for you. For some of you, it might be riding your motorbike. That's recreation, isn't it? Yeah. Others, it might be a bit of a task, but that's all right. The word here is transformation. The word brings transformation. Movies don't. Amen? Secondly, keep watch. Be vigilant and pray. It's something you can do because there's plenty of doers in the room. Is that right? Plenty of us can say, I want to do something, Steve. I don't just want to sit and rest and relax in the presence of God. I want to do something. Well, here's something you can do. Keep watch and pray. God, give me vision for what you see for us, for our church, for our family. Who's struggling in temptation that I can pray for now? Intercede for your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something you can do. Because if you're in the presence of God interceding, let me tell you, you're not struggling as much with sin as you think you are. You're being consumed by God. Matthew 26, 41 says, Keep watch and pray so that you may... Uh, that you will not give in to temptation. Jesus was a pretty smart, switched-on kind of guy, wasn't he? Keep watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body, the flesh, is weak. Lastly, be transformed. Renew your mind by the washing of truth. The new creation message is powerful. We need to feed our spirits on these realities. I say realities on purpose because they're not something that you're hoping for. They are truth right now that you need to partner with, not beg for. 
New creation realities is everything that Jesus has done for you. New creation realities. Break the habits of sin with the confessions of righteousness. Using the word of God as a weapon. Ephesians 6 talks about our only weapon within the armor of God is the word of God. Yeah? The enemy comes to strike you, to kill you, to destroy you in some way. And he uses this thing called lies and temptations. Combat him. Don't go and cower in shelter, but combat him with the word of God. That was Jesus' example for us. I like this one. This is a strong word of Jesus. I don't know if I've got it up there for you. I don't. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. If your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's pretty harsh, isn't it, Matt? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for you, your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus obviously wasn't advocating for brutality here, was he? But he wanted to see us that we saw that the consequences of sin are severe. They cut us off. And they cut us off from the abiding in God. Now, while God is always present and with us, your understanding of God with you can diminish. That's what temptations do. To the point where sin becomes so rife in your life, your God consciousness is gone the enemy has got you in this place that is dark, dangerous. And the Bible calls susceptible to apostasy. Hebrews talks a lot about that if you want to ever get into that subject. So Jesus wasn't advocating for brutality, but he wanted us to see the severity of sin. But the ultimate message in this last point is this. See that you are entirely a new creation the old is gone and the new has come that you are dead to sin therefore you must put on the mind of christ while jesus and his life-giving spirit has given life to you the renewing of the flesh or the renewing of the mind is actually our duty through the word of god the transformation of the spirit bringing life to it and us walking out of that in faith this is who we are. Walk in the power of the Spirit and pursue righteousness and holiness in the grace of God that he so freely provides. As new creatures, the old is diminished and the new is hidden in Christ. And someone say amen to that. It's so good to know the truth that I am hidden in Christ, that I am not judged upon what I've done, upon what I do, or upon what I'm going to do. That I am in Christ and in Christ I am holy, righteous, redeemed. That I am the son of God and I am in God. Can you say that over your life? If you can, begin to repeat that. Because that's the power for victory for you. God sees you this way. If God sees us that way, then isn't that good enough for us to see ourselves this way? Then we must begin to partner with this. Transformation is critical in overcoming the old nature or the self. Amen? 
ways you can do that in closing. You can listen to good music, worship music. One of the driest times in my life, I'll stick on my headphones. If you see me with headphones, don't annoy me because what I'm doing is I'm trying, not trying, but I'm, I'm, I'm resting in the presence of God. Yeah? I'm shutting out the world because I'm, try, I'm, I'm, I'm stirring my spirit up to hear from God. Find good teaching on the new creation realities. Sit into it. Understand it. Listen to it. Let it soak over you. Um, there's, a, there's a minister by the name of Graham Cook who does these podcasts that you can soak under. They're just... Scripture in today's language is just basically repeating it to you as the word, as the Lord gives him utterance. And bring it into the light. That's the last challenge for you. If you're struggling in a sin... If it's dark, bring it into the light. Don't let it have power. Don't let it give you shame. Don't let it cause guilt in your life. Listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit before it's too late. Bring it forward. Confess it to God. Ask Him to deal with it in His grace. And go and find a brother or sister that you trust and confess it to them. Have them pray with you. Because that will help you to find victory in God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet before Pastor Teresa comes back. Let me pray for you today. Lord Jesus, every one of us struggles with this area in our life. But we thank you that you lead us from one glory to the next. We thank you that the truth is that your holiness, your righteousness is within us by your spirit. That you see us hidden in Christ and you empower us with the risen Christ in us. These things as a reality in our life draw us into relationship with you. I pray, Lord, across this entire house, those who are here this morning, and those who will listen upon the tape, I pray that as your word ministers to their heart, Holy Spirit, would you draw us into a deeper relationship with you? Would we get so excited with your joy that we will live from this place? Would you be the peace that surpasses understanding in our life? Cause us to reevaluate the busyness in our life. That we may prioritize our life around our relationship with you. Lord Jesus, you are our everything. Father God, we come to you in awe of what you have done. We ask that you would minister to us and bring a fresh healing into our lives. Minister into our hearts and bring a peace beyond that understanding that we are right with you Lord, I thank you that even this afternoon the people will come before you in the conviction of the Spirit, called up to knowing who they are, called up to understanding that they are free in Jesus, not the conviction of the, 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 the wretched sin, but the conviction of who we are in your presence, and that that would draw us in to a freedom and victory that we have never encountered before. Lord, this we ask in your name, Jesus.